The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right. Hello. Welcome. Another edition of the Disability Law Show is here. Uh, it's going to be Tamara Gopian, as always, doing all the heavy lifting, reaching out to Tamara, partner, Sanfiru Tamark and LLP, by the way, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. You can do that. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca and the uh, website we always refer to. In fact, we pull a lot of uh, content and questions from this website. It's free. It's anonymous. And that would be mydisabilityquestions.com. Tamar, so many the emails are already coming in. We just got on there. They're already coming in. But uh, we'll get to those in just a bit. But you got a couple things you want to discuss off the, uh, off the top, pal. What do you got? Absolutely. Always a busy week at our firm. And this week, I have been knee deep in a file that I thought we could talk about at the top of our show involving a client. I mean, I want to preserve her confidentiality, of course. So I'm going to speak about it in general terms, John, but it really touches on a few things that we comment on oftentimes on the show. And the first of which is this, she applied for long-term disability benefits. There are timeframes to apply for LTD benefits. We talk about this oftentimes, and she unfortunately had been delayed because she had attempted to get back to work in that initial few months while she was off. And so she goes off work. Her doctor says, look, let's try a return to work. She attempts that is not successful and then initiates her long-term disability claim. So when she makes that application to the insurance company, they say, look, you're 30 days late. Actually, it was like 32 days late. And on that basis, they say it's a no-go. It's a non-starter. We're going to decline your claim. Now, This I find somewhat harsh from insurance companies, but what our listeners should know and understand is that you should know, look, if there is an expectation that your disability claim is going to be more than a week, a two, three, that sort of thing, you really do want to know, when do I need to apply for long-term disability benefits? Because I can tell you, if there's a technical reason for the insurance company to issue a decline letter, they're going to do it even if it's not reasonable. And in this case, my client's case, John, it wasn't reasonable. 30 days and there was a valid explanation. She tried to return back to work and it wasn't successful. So what does she do? She appeals. She appeals and uh, she you know, offers a further explanation. Her employer actually uh, sent a helpful information to the insurance company too and say they look at it again um, and they say, nope, we still think it's late and <laughs> still not a valid reason. So she appeals for a second time. And for whatever reason, the second time seemed to have been uh, the magic bullet. And they say, okay, fine. We're going to overturn our decline for the late issue. Now we're going to look at the disability claim. And imagine now she's been off, I think it was like seven or eight months now until she gets to this point after two appeals where the insurance company for the first time, by the way, is going to look at the actual disability claim and assess whether or not She's totally disabled from going back and working at our occupation. They take another several months to do this, John. And she's emailing and she's getting no response. She's emailing no response. Uh, Finally, uh, she gets a response. And of course, it's another decline letter. So now we're at decline number three. I'm going to fast forward for our listeners. She appealed five times, five times she appealed her disability claim. 
And I cannot tell you, my dear listeners, how frustrating this process can be for people. I can tell you it was very difficult for my client. She has a very complex chronic pain condition with related mental health issues, depression and anxiety. And so you can only imagine with a profile like this, what it was like for her to continue to deal with the insurance company again and again, only to receive basically the same cursory response, the two liners saying, we don't think you're totally disabled. There's not enough medical information. And so what we do is we get involved on behalf of these individuals. And frankly, she's, she already said to me, you know, tomorrow, I wish I had hired you sooner. I wish I mm. hadn't gone through the appeal process. Yes, because she wasted 20 months trying to deal with a disability insurer with no payment whatsoever. The delay is not acceptable. And I can tell you not reasonable in the circumstances even though her initial claim was only 30 days late. That, that's nothing compared to what she's had to deal with. And I can tell you the courts are going to weigh that into their decision-making. So at the end of the day, we got involved. We started a legal claim. I got the claims file. It was very voluminous. But in there was a whole bunch of things that either they hadn't responded to her about or hadn't reviewed when they had issued their decline letters. This is a cardinal sin for disability insurers. This is not something that's appropriate. They can't just simply accept information and ignore it or not get all the information they need and then just do a cursory decline letter. They had even gotten um, one of their internal doctors to review the file at some point, John, and they reviewed it and they didn't actually come out to say that she could work. They just were like, look, maybe we need some further information. You know, some of these symptoms could certainly be disabling in, the, in and of themselves, but the insurance company didn't really rely on it. And they weren't transparent with my client about the fact that they had actually gotten this, this review. And I can tell you the courts don't favor these, these medical reviews because these doctors who are doing them on behalf of these insurance companies, John, they're, they're hired guns, essentially, right? They're on payroll with the insurance company. You know what the conclusion is. They don't want to necessarily tell the insurance company, look, you got to pay this claim. And in fact, the courts have said, if someone's actually treating this patient, that treating doctor is in the best position to advise and give opinions on whether or not someone is disabled and not able to work. And in this situation, again and again and again, the insurance company kept saying no. So we're on the precipice of a mediation. Uh, I think that it will be uh, hopefully a favorable process. We have a really, really good degree of success in resolving our cases with these insurance companies at mediation. It allows us to have a lot of free dialogue around issues like this and really just point out to the insurance company, look, this is where you miss this and you miss this. And by the way, this, and by the way, all of this has caused an inordinate amount of anxiety and stress on my client. And you know, you're opening yourself up insurance company to a damages claim. The courts don't allow this. It's not acceptable to be treating individuals this way with so much delay uh, and so much additional anxiety to an individual who is already compromised from a health basis. So you know, really, really tough situation, very sympathetic circumstances, but clear takeaways here, people. Look, the appeal process can be a big time suck, okay, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. And this is what the insurance companies want, because at the end of it, what they're hoping is that you're just going to give up, that you're so exhausted from dealing with all of these appeals that you're going to leave money on the table, significant money on the table that's actually owed to you under this policy, which is what I obviously advised my client and 
hopefully we can finally get some resolution for her next week at mediation. Again, the number to reach out to Tamar anytime and her team, you could do so. Really simple, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. Don't hesitate. It's a phone call. It's a simple chat. That's how it starts. Just get some clarity and some uh, some information. Do your due diligence for sure. What's the uh, next thing you got up, Hal? Well, you know, John, I, you know, oftentimes keep my ear to the ground, as does the firm, uh, particularly Mm -hmm. around uh, issues that are still happening related to the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, we sort of passed a milestone. We're kind of past that two-year mark now into the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I saw uh, recently was uh, the Angus Reid Institute had done another survey uh, of Canadians and how they're doing on their mental health. And, you know, it's, it sort of ties nicely to what I was talking about with my client uh, in, in that other uh, opening salvo. And, you know, the, the harsh reality is, is that the majority of Canadians, I think it was something like over 50% have uh, responded to their survey advising that their mental health has actually worsened in the past two years since the on- onset of the yeah. pandemic and particularly women far more than men. And, you know, this for me is something that that hits quite close to home, very passionate about this issue. I advocate a lot on behalf of women with mental health conditions. And so when I caught this, I thought, you know, it, it might be an important point to put out there that, look, it may seem, you know, masks are coming off, you know, we're getting on the other side of this, you know, I'm not going to get into, you know, whether or not that's appropriate necessarily, but I think the aftermath is still very real for a lot of people. And I think that mental health component being that it can be so invisible, so difficult, um, you know, is something that needs, we need to spend a little bit more time on shed more light on uh, certainly as disability lawyers, But most especially what this article highlighted was that it's creating actually a lot of pressure on the mental health system. And it was already close to that brink. And I can tell you, even in just dealing with the clients that I do, accessing mental health supports can be a real challenge, but it has to happen, John. It's always the first thing I say to people who tell me, look, you know, I've I've got anxiety, I've got depression, whatever the case might be, I say, please, please, you must get support whether it's the family doctor, whether it's a family member, whether it's a social worker, a counselor, there's a lot of resources out there that need to be accessed so that we can hopefully get ourselves to a point from a mental health perspective that we're better off as a society. But certainly when I see surveys like this, where the majority of Canadians are saying like, you know, I cannot deal with what's happened in the last couple of years, I get it. Uh, and so don't hesitate to pursue those supports and don't hesitate to access disability benefits in situations like this. That is what they're there for. Again, reaching out as we get into a quick break here, lots more to go. You want to get to your story uh, on air, at least talk about the uh, the main topics of doing so. You can do that. Help at disabilityrights.ca, mydisabilityquestions.com. That website is free, absolutely anonymous to do exactly that. Ask your disability questions and it's searchable. So your question may have been asked previously by someone else or something close to it, right? Save you some time. If not, uh, you can have a private conversation anytime. Tamar and her team 
Always standing by, that would be 1-855-821-5900, 1-855-821-5900. There's also memos you can read and use to educate yourself as well. They're short, they're concise, but they're easy, called ltdfaq.ca, ltdfaq.ca. You can use that any time as well. I gave you a ton there, and we'll, uh, we'll go through them again when we come back from a break. As we get into that right here on the Disability Law Show. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey, welcome back. Disability Law Show. Good to have you along this week. Tamara Gopian is your partner and your partner in crime when it comes to uh, surveying and getting through the murky waters of disability law, dealing with an insurance company. If you've been cut off or you've been told to appeal or they won't accept your claim, it's it's crazy. It can be mind-numbing and depressing, and you're going to need help with it. That's why the firm is there. San Firu to Markin LLP, most positively reviewed law firm in this country from coast to coast to coast and tomorrow welcomes you to reach out to her team anytime to have a, a simple discussion discreet and uh, no pressure for sure one 821 5900 email address we always use is help at disabilityrights.ca and questions can be lodged at mydisabilityquestions.com you can do that free and anonymously as well so so there you go okay next up uh where do you want to go uh tomorrow i know we got a ton of emails to get through and other questions as well so if you're ready for that we can uh, we can continue let let's do it john let's get into it all right first one shoshana writes in says hey tomorrow i was recently diagnosed with breast cancer and i've been told i need surgery to remove the lump my surgery is not yet scheduled, though, and they can't tell me what other treatment I might need after, like chemotherapy or radiation. I work in a lab as a technician, which has been really difficult these past few years with COVID around. I was already struggling at work, and now with my career diagnosed, my cancer diagnosis, rather, my family doctor thinks I should stop working and focus on my health. I'm worried, though, that I won't be approved for disability benefits in my situation. What do you think? Shoshana, look, and I'm, I'm sorry that she's had to deal with this diagnosis, but it sounds like she's getting the right care and at the very least is on the path of dealing with her health, getting the surgery, and then assessing what's going to happen from other treatment beyond that. I think what's difficult in Shoshana's email, at least not clear to me, is whether or not there are symptoms currently that are actually preventing her from working as a lab technician. That's really what is the basis for a disability claim, John, is that, you know, it's not only just the diagnosis and insurance companies are really clear about, look, just because you've got a diagnosis doesn't mean that that means you can't keep working for a period of time. What Shoshana tells us though, is that she was already struggling. So was she struggling from a physical perspective? Possibly. Was she struggling from a mental health perspective? Possibly. And certainly those kinds of symptoms or any combination of those, if the doctor is saying, look, you need to stop working as a result of your health. Well, guess what? That's the test of total disability. That is the test the insurance company needs to look at to assess your initial claim and make the right decision about approving your LTD claim. So I think in Shoshana's case, if the doctor is making clear that those symptoms are present, those symptoms are what's driving the application then by all means, you know, it should be approved. I think where insurance companies get a little lost is 
well, you know, could she keep working with some treatment? I've seen that before, John. Perhaps not with the type of treatment that Joshana describes, but I certainly have seen that with mental health claims, for example, where the insurance company will say, look, you can take medication and undergo therapy while still continuing to work. (sighs) That's a tall order for someone who's dealing with issues like depression or anxiety, which are typically the more common uh, mental health conditions that we see. And, you know, I've, I've get frustrated with insurance companies who take that position because obviously for them, that's the best value proposition. They want you to keep working because it means you're not triggering the disability policy and therefore taking the, the money out of their pockets every month that's owed to you under your disability policy. So that one's tough for me as a, as a pill to swallow. And I think the other hurdle that Shoshana might find as well is potentially a delay with the surgery. So I've also seen insurance companies get quite impatient, uh, rightly or wrongly, I would say wrongly, um, in terms of, look, we're not going to wait out the surgery. uh, And until then, you should be working. And then once you get it or once it's scheduled, then you can reach out to us and make an application and we'll see kind of thing. That's not necessarily the right approach, especially as I said off the top, there are symptoms currently, regardless of surgery, that are impacting Shoshana's ability to work. And, you know, this is the test out of the gates, right? That's the own occupation period of the disability policy. Do you have conditions that prevent you from working? If so, and it's medically supported, full stop, there should be an approval of the LTD claim. And I wouldn't hesitate in Shoshana's situation to make that application. And frankly, if it's declined, my hope and expectation is that she's going to pick up the phone and talk to one of us disability lawyers and we'll help her through it. Um, And, you know, uh, perhaps keep the insurance companies honest in situations like this that can be rather protracted, right? I mean, this is the other thing that I've seen, John, is that, you know, you get an initial diagnosis, you're told, look, we're going to do the surgery and it's going to be all tickety-boo. And then you find yourself with one complication after another. And, you know, what would have been typically a four or five month period of time now turns into a year, perhaps more, especially with cancer. And insurance companies get quite agitated, as you know, once that disability claim gets a little too close to that two-year mark, where they need to then make the assessment whether or not they're going to continue to pay the disability benefit if the individual, you know, can't work in any occupation. And, you know, sometimes with cancer patients, that is the projection. And so, you know, if they can curb that, if they can cut it off early or not approve it at all for whatever reason, they are absolutely going to try and do that, John. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Shoshana, you've reached out through email. You want to make that phone call and continue on with uh, with more of this discussion with Tamara. You can do so, one 821 5900 Down to brass tacks as far as policies are concerned, tomorrow. are there different kinds of disability insurance policies or are they all just kind of cookie cutter, basically the same? Really good question. Really, really good question. So I talk about you know these tests, these the own occupation yep. test and the any occupation test, right? And we talk about this a lot on the shows. And you know those tests are actually quite typical or common. They they are very similarly worded from one disability policy to another. So from that perspective, they are the same. I would say, with some slight you know changes. I think though where it differs is the type of policy that you might have. So. We see disability policies that can come in different forms. The ones that we talk about most often on the show are group disability policies. So ones that exist with your employer. So because you're employed, you and along with the other 200 people that work at your company are under the same group plan for disability benefits. 
but there are other types. And I see other types like individual or private disability insurance policies. There's one or two insurers who offer those. That would be typically like if you're self-employed, for example, John, or, you know, if you've had the, the foresight to say, look, I'm going to take out a, you know, an individual disability plan. I'm going to have my own policy. You remit your own premiums. That could be slightly different. And those individual policies, although they have the same idea, the same idea of, look, we will pay a disability benefit if, if your health prevents you from working. The individual plans sometimes can be crafted quite uh, distinctly in the sense that there's other riders and other things that can be added on that sometimes will include not having a change of definition, for example. So I've seen individual policies that don't have that two-year mark change. Um, great. That's awesome. Uh, but that's typically, you know, limited to those individual policies. And then I see, you know, things like critical illness policies. Those are also similar in terms of, you know, they're tied to health and they're payable if you have certain health issues or events like a heart attack, for example, or a stroke, something distinct. And there's a one-time payout typically under those CI policies. And then the other one that I could think of is mortgage protection disability insurance. And so again, you know, would be this, you know, typical disability insurer, but it's tied to a benefit that will protect your mortgage payments. And so some people may even have it and don't even know it, by the way. So you might want to look at your initial application for your mortgage and see if you've got, if you're paying a bit of a premium for that, then you can access, access that. And it's similar ideas in terms of meeting those tests of total disability. And, and frankly, our whole team works on all of these types of policies. That's the key, John, is that if you're not really sure, look, you know, what's Tamar talking about? Could Sam Beard's mark and help me on, you know, my CI claim, critical illness claim, or some other disability-based claim? Absolutely. Give us a call. Um, these policies have very similar concepts. And certainly the way that the adjudication is approached by the insurance company or whoever is dealing with the policy is very similar. So a lot of what we talk about, though, is related to the group plans, uh, can apply to a lot of these other policies. At the end of the day, what you want to have a really good understanding of is, what is my policy? You should have a copy of that. Uh, at the very least, that should be your starting point so you can understand, okay, who, who's paying it? Who, who do I need to apply to? What are the words? Can a lawyer help me understand these words? Absolutely. Give us a call. Our consults are completely free. That number, as mentioned, 1-855-821-5900, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca as well. George, you are up next. Appreciate the email, my friend. He says, uh, tomorrow I submitted an LTD claim and just found out because of my employment date that I'm subject to a pre-existing condition clause and the insurance company wants access to all my medical records. Do I have to provide them? I'm concerned they will find a reason to deny my claim. Really great question. George. Thank you for your email. I know. And so look, I'm going to give you my short answer and then I'm going to give you my long answer. <laughs> my, sh my short answer, George, is yes, you, are, you should provide your medical information. It's going to help the insurance company make its assessment about whether or not your claim should be approved. Here's my long answer though. Okay. And for our listeners, you know, they might be wondering what is the pre-existing condition clause? Well, this clause is in most policies, most disability policies. It applies when you are unable to work due to your health within that first year of work or first year of coverage under a particular policy. It's, you know, insurance companies put these clauses in really because they were trying to avoid people, um, you know, policy shopping. So starting a job, knowing you're sick, and then trying to get on a disability plan so that you can get the benefits. 
Unfortunately, though, they use this more as a sword as opposed to a shield, right? And so, of course, if they can find a technical reason to decline, they're going to do that. And so anytime someone is making a disability claim within that first year of coverage, the insurance company is going to try and vet this and see if they can use this pre-existing condition clause to bar the claim. So to cut off or to decline the claim rather and say, look, the health issue that for which you are trying to claim benefits for now with us is actually related to something or health issue that you had before or in a period of time that impacts the activation of this clause. So sometimes that's three months before you started work or three months before you made your disability claim. Sometimes it's a year before. Either way, in order to satisfy the insurance company that it's your health issue is not pre-existing, you really do want to share that medical information. I really don't see a reason why you wouldn't in a situation like that, especially if you're confident that your claim isn't going to be attracting the, the, pre, the activation of the pre-existing condition right. clause. Right. So the only way you really are going to be able to show that or demonstrate that to the insurance company is actually giving them that access. And look, I think what George probably realizes is that, you know, if they can find an excuse, they will. Yes, unfortunately, they will. And with the pre-existing condition clause, unfortunately, it's one of those where the courts have said it's kind of an all or nothing proposition. Either the health issue was pre-existing and the clause is going to be you know, activated properly or it's not. And so, you know, what we try and do when consults come in to talk about pre-existing is number one, we want to see exactly about the words of the pre-existing condition clause, right. because it can change, right, from policy to policy in terms of some of the periods of time that we're looking at. And then two, we really want to see, you know, what does the medical information say? And if the insurance company has drawn the wrong conclusion, if the medical is not there to support what they've said that it is pre-existing, then by all means, these are the types of claims that we absolutely will take on and challenge the disability insurer so that we can get our clients the compensation that they're entitled to. It's a technical issue, which is why oftentimes lawyers get involved to challenge the disability insurer on issues like this. Good question, George. Thank you so much. Again, I'm going to tell you the same thing we tell everybody who mails in or goes to uh, mydisabilityquestions.com, and that is make the phone call. The next step would be to talk to Tamar and her team, one 855 821-5900, but that email address, which we're going to go back to here after a short break, is help at disabilityrights.ca and another resource for you, mydisabilityquestions.com. That is all coming up as we'll continue with more Disability Law Show. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right, welcome back, Disability Law Show. John Scholes, uh, Tamara Gopian here, of course, partner Sam Firu, Tamarkin LLP. They are the most positively reviewed law firm overall in this country. You want to check it out, you can do so online. And uh, you'll find the same information that I just gave you. Reach out to them anytime as well, one 821 5900 Really cool, peaceful, chilled conversation to uh, get the ball rolling, to educate you all the time. That is the process used in this show as well to reach out to Tamar. She explains so many things that will help you navigate disability law, dealing with a disability insurer and your claim, whether it's denied or you've been asked to appeal. We love that A word. It's one of our favorites. There's that avenue. There's also help at disabilityrights.ca and mydisabilityquestions.com. All that one word 
do ask your questions as well. A uh, big thing over the last couple of years, of course, tomorrow, and I know you uh, you deal a lot with the employment law side, the other half of the firm. In fact, you can do both because you're extremely well-skilled. But can you still get disability benefits if you're on a temporary layoff? God knows how many thousands of Canadians are still languishing under one of those, right? What do you think? I know. I know. It's yeah. awful. And and so, yes, John, I am one of uh, a handful of lawyers at our firm that actually uh, deals with both sides of our practice. So we've got dedicated shows on employment law, and there's lots of resources on our website dedicated to, to layoffs. But what's important in this context is, look, if I'm on a temporary layoff and I cannot work as a result of my health, do I have the option of actually making a disability claim? And so this is where we find a lot of intersection between our practice areas. This is why it made so much sense when Sam Firu and Tamarkin came together <laughs> in their practice areas. They had the foresight and thinking, look, we can, we can really help people in situations like this. And this is exactly why. The temporary layoff situation can be unique in that in some respects, the employer can continue your benefits package. And in some cases, they won't. Uh, sometimes as an employee, you have to pay the premium specifically for short-term and long-term disability benefits. So if you are being placed on a temporary layoff, you want to understand very clearly what's happening with my benefits, my group benefits with my employer. Because in a situation like that, if you don't have coverage, if your coverage for disability benefits has ended or has been put on a temporary situation where they're not remitting premiums and you don't have access to it during your temporary layoff period, then that unfortunately will close the door to you applying successfully for a disability claim or making a disability application. However, my hope and expectation is that you still do have access to disability benefits, in which case, if you are on a temporary layoff, you can make an application for disability benefits. The question then becomes very technical around, you know, are you still quote unquote eligible? The insurance company will look to your employer to get advice around that, whether you meet the eligibility requirements. And again, these are all technical reasons, John, but if you're within that window of coverage, my opinion is that you should be able to successfully get access to disability benefits, especially if the insurance company is getting their premiums, right? So they're getting their premiums, you're covered under the plan, they should be looking at your disability claim, regardless of the fact that, you know, you're put on a temporary layoff. I think the timing of the disability will be a, a huge impact. And so this is what I mean in terms of those technical requirements. If let's say your health was um, impacting your ability to work and that impact was right around the time you were put on a temporary layoff, then I think that the doctor, when they complete their part of the application, will likely put in your date of when you became unwell and not able to continue working. If that date exists within that time frame where you have coverage, then you should be applying for disability benefits. I know this can be quite technical for individuals, but you shouldn't hesitate. And if you've got any questions at all whatsoever, again, I encourage people to contact us and give us a call and we can talk you through what those options might be. Because the other side of it is, is that if the employer didn't do something that they were supposed to do, if for example, they should have continued your benefits and didn't, then we might want to consider whether or not that's an issue against the employer as well, not only as it relates to the disability insurer. So kind of a technical one, John, but I think one that I want people to understand that there could be avenues there if you've got access to that disability coverage. Yeah. 
I want to get on to uh, Lucy's email. Lucy writes in, says, hey, tomorrow I was approved for LTD a few months ago. This week I had a call from my adjuster, and he asked me whether I was pregnant or planning to get pregnant. Where are these questions coming from? Do I have to answer them? Oh, this one really <laughs> bothers me, John. Really, woman to woman, Lucy, I, you know, I've got a hard time with this one because, yeah. look, I mean, I, I don't have a good sense, John, of what Lucy's disability claim is. And so, you know, if it's related to her disability claim somehow in terms of her, um, if she's pregnant or her pregnancy status, whether she's starting a family, I could maybe get my head around the insurance company asking these kinds of questions. But generally speaking, I'm not sure they're really entitled to it, uh, especially if it's unrelated. And I, and I think that where I see questions like this sometimes is when there's a mental health disability claim being advanced. So I see adjusters asking these questions, of course, to women, uh, probing to make the unfortunate connection that if you are planning to start a family or you're planning to get pregnant, then that must mean you have sufficient function to work. That must mean that you're not sick enough, okay, to access disability yeah. benefits, which just does not fly with me at all, John. It's, you know, I think it borders on discrimination, frankly, got a lot of issues with this one. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I don't want to advocate that you not be forthright with the insurance company. Of course, you want to be open and honest with any questions the insurance company is asking you. But if it's not related to your disability claim, you know, I think it would be fair to sort of say, well, why is this being asked? Uh, and certainly, you know, if there's no basis in the policy to be asking this question, I'd also be challenging the insurance company on that. So I was thinking about this one, you know, could there be something in the disability policy that would have allowed the adjuster to ask the question? The only thing that comes to mind is there's a section in the disability policy that says, look, we will pay benefits, but if certain circumstances exist, you are not entitled to benefits for a period of time, even if you are considered totally disabled. And one of those periods of time is actually a parental leave or a maternity leave. I've seen that language in disability policies before. And so, you know, I guess the expectation is, is that you might access, you know, other social supports like EI, uh, for example, during your maternity leave or parental leave. And so in a situation like that, perhaps you would then not be qualifying for disability benefits. I still don't think it's the right analysis, but maybe that's the reason why the adjuster is asking Lucy I'd certainly want a lot more information, but out of the gates, this one just does not seem appropriate to me. Lucy, appreciate that email. Again, uh, asking you or at least advising to follow up with a phone call to Tamar and her team to get more clarification. Always really simple. Uh, that number, one 855 And you've already got the email, but for everybody else, continuing on, help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll take a short break and get to a few more minutes of the show, Disability Law Show. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right, welcome back. Disability Law Show a few minutes to go, but uh, that doesn't mean you can't reach out afterwards. Simple way to do that, phone call number one, one 855 You prefer to uh, use your cell phone and tap away, you can go to help at disabilityrights.ca through email or the website free and anonymous mydisabilityquestions.com. How about that? 
Uh, question, Tamara. You know, when clients first meet with you or uh, or talk to you for that matter, what questions should they be asking you? Is there a, a laundry list? I mean, do they do they need to know certain things or have be prepared when coming into that first contact? Well, you know, they they can be, John. I mean, I actually want them to ask me every question that they possibly have to ask me. I want to be able to answer yeah. everything that you know they they want answered, of course. And, you know, we do these consultations and I, my whole approach is I want to give people the opportunity to spend as much time with me as they need to, to understand, look, you know, can I help them? Uh, you know, do I know my stuff? You know, <laughs> what do I, what's my experience? What's my rate of success? I think those are things that are really important to ask. Um, you know, if we're going to move forward with a disability claim, I really think they should be asking us, look, how quickly can you get this resolved? You know, what fees will you be charging this sort of thing? And, you know, we, we talk about it very openly on the show, you know, listen to one of our shows. We are, I can tell you if, if I'm talking to John after we're off air, I'm talking to him in the same way that I'm speaking now, very real, very approachable. Uh, and as we say, we, our goal is really to try and resolve our disability claims ideally at a mediation, sometimes sooner within sort of an eight to 12 month window of being retained. And so we act as quickly as possible because we know by the time people come to us, they're really not getting their benefit. They're in a financial situation and we want to move the needle as quickly as we can for these individuals. And we work, that's why we work exclusively on contingency. So, you know, we recover our fees. You don't pay anything up front. We, we recover, uh, we only get paid if we recover something on your behalf. And so again, you know, that means you're not paying us month over month. We spend as much time on the file as we need to, to get as much compensation for as, our clients as we can. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've got some self-interest in doing that both for the client and ourselves, of course. But this way, uh, we are in it together, and I want people to understand that right from the start. And they know that they can reach me. They know who they're going to talk to. Uh, you know, their file isn't going to be shifted around, John. I've heard that with some other firms where you talk to one person, but then you deal with four other people through the life of the file. That's not the case with me and my clients. They get me every time they have a question or they want to deal with something with, uh, with the support of uh, one or two other people at my firm, like my legal assistant. And so I think those kinds of things are really important. But at the end of the day, you just want to have confidence that the person that you're trusting with your legal file, that they understand you, that you've got the right connection, and that they're going to do what's best for you in your best interest. And my motto is always transparency. I want to be open and honest with people. I want to tell them what it is right from the start. And you know, if that's something that they're uh, you know open to and that they want to have a partnership with me in terms of moving forward, let's do it. Great. And you know what, John, sometimes it's not even one conversation. Sometimes I have multiple conversations with people. Sometimes I have emails back and forth. You know, it's not something that people go into lightly because most of our clients have actually never hired a lawyer before. It can be really, really overwhelming. Um, you know, they've never had to deal with a disability insurer before. They're not really sure. And so this is why I want to have these open dialogues with people and have that conversation and frankly, talk to them for as many times or however long as they need to feel comfortable and confident that this is something that they want to embark on. And at the end of the day, really, you know, I want them to know that I'm going to make it as easy for them as I can as well. You know, the idea is that we want to take this element, the stress of it away from our clients, have them focus on their health only. We will deal with the insurance company. They become my problem. I will communicate with them. I will tell them they are not to communicate with my client. If there's anything that they need that comes through me and my office, 
I'll communicate with the doctors. I'll get all the information that's needed. We do all of that as part of our services. And so, you know, other than listening to our show and giving us a call, you know, hopefully most people come to our consults with some questions in mind and by all means, you know, I'm happy to answer them however long it takes. Let's get to uh, Marnie. we got time for Marnie. Marnie says, uh, by the way, it was help at disabilityrights.ca. Marnie says, I was on disability insurance for two years because of depression. My insurance was cut off because they said I could do another job, but my psychiatrist and therapist both have told me I'm not ready to go back to work. The thing is, I really want to go back to work, and I still plan to return once I'm better. What happens if I start a legal claim against my insurer, and then I get better? How do I? How long do I have to wait before I can return to work? Really good question, Marty. And actually, I would say that's one of the questions we get quite commonly in our consults, John. So that ties in very nicely to what I was talking about a little bit before. You know, actually, one doesn't really have much to do with the other. I mean, the the idea is what I want to see for all of our clients is that they're better and that they can actually get back to work. Because if they do so, then they're not fighting with the disability insurer over, you know, two thirds of what they were making before, you know, they are successfully back into the workplace. That's great. No problem. You know, in situations like that, it can make the legal claim sometimes easier to resolve. It then becomes a question of getting the compensation for the period of time that the insurance company did not pay for however long Marnie was not able to work as a result of her health. And that becomes what we call a capped claim. And it can be a lot easier to resolve with a disability insurer, though I would want to see Marnie get back to work, John, and just give it a little bit of time. I wouldn't necessarily jump on the fact that to resolve the legal claim right away, because I want to see that that return to work is successful. Because the other element of this, of course, is that if the return to work is not successful, then disability policies actually have a recurrence provision in their policies that say, if your health prevents you from working again, after you've returned back to work, and that happens within three to six months of, a, of an initial claim, then your claim will kick back up again, or should theoretically, uh, without having to wait uh, for the waiting period for the LTD benefits to kick in again. And so disability insurers know this. This is why the return to work should really only be happening if your doctors are recommending that you go back. And it sounds in Marnie's case that they have both her therapist and her psychiatrist has said, not yet. So if it's not yet, you don't have the green light, then by all means, right now, the disability insurer should be continuing to pay your benefit. And that is an absolutely correct basis upon which to start a legal claim. And if things change in that time, that's okay too. We can pivot. Doesn't really impact the legal claim. And in some cases, as I said, it may make it easier to resolve. So no big deal. So just just briefly, I know we got about a minute or two left here. Just that recurrence clause. How does that basically work again? Good question. And so what you would want to do in that situation is submit further medical information to the insurance company to say, by the way, I'm, I'm sick again, I can't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would have to look at that and start up the disability benefits again, or issue another decline letter. <sighs> Unfortunately, insurance companies typically will resist the recurrence claims because they don't really want you back on claim. Sure. Uh, but if you've got a valid basis and your doctor's saying, no, I've put you off work again, even though you've challenged, uh, you know, you've tried to go back and that wasn't successful. In some ways, I think that's a better situation because it gives you a lot of credit that you've made that attempt in a situation like that. Only if your doctors are recommending it, John. Um, then you got to keep the insurance company honest if they're saying, no, we think you should be going back to work in a situation like that. 
you should be following your medical advice, not the insurance company's pressures to get you back. And with that, another show is complete. Appreciate all of your correspondence through email and the uh, the other website, mydisabilityquestions.com. You can use that anytime going forward. And that email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. Finally, the phone number to reach Tamar and her team anytime you would like. Have a conversation, right? A warm body. one 855 And we'll talk to you next time on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.